0: February the 20th wasn't just Rihanna's birthday. Nor was it just the 36th anniversary of the outbreak of the first Nagorno-Karabakh war. Oh no. Tuesday this week also marked the P&I Renewal Day. That's the name given to the international hard deadline for the 90% of the world fleet by tonnage entered with the international group of P&I clubs to renew their liability insurance for the following year. I know, we had the bunting out and the party streamers as well. Obviously it's a huge job. But, somehow, the clubs pull it off every time. Historically, the date was considered the first on which the Baltic ports were sufficiently ice-free to be navigable. That looks rather quaint in these days of global warming, but the 20th of February is now hallowed by tradition and doing things on the 1st of January, like everybody else, would just be very boring. Yes, it is that time of year again, which means we are dedicating the podcast this week to the renewal outcome, as we do every year around this time, because it's important. In 2024, things have been rather quiet by previous standards, as it goes. No major fleets are thought to have changed hands in search of better insurance deals. The number of owners opting to do so has been in decline for some time, actually. Clubs actively disincentivizes such behaviour with a mechanism known as release calls. In plain English, that's a penalty imposed for switching. Premium increases were modest this year. Clubs were officially looking for general or target increases in the 5 to 7.5% range. But those headline rate hikes should be seen as opening bids in negotiations with brokers. In practice, most deals were settled at about two-thirds of that. We recorded this week's podcast on the afternoon of Thursday the 22nd of February, by which point several clubs had made preliminary announcements about how well they had done. Five said that they'd gained tonnage. To name-check them, they were Guard, North Standard, Scald, West of England and Steamship Mutual. As subscribers know all too well, Lloyd's List offers readers easily the best marine insurance coverage available anywhere in the business, and naturally we asked our insurance editor, David Osler, to round up a cross-section of the P&I people, the movers and shakers of the marine insurance world, to discuss the latest developments. He came up with a strong panel, who were miraculously able to agree to a simultaneous half-hour slot in their diaries, which we thank them for. So we are happy to present a discussion featuring Alex Vullo, who since the last time we spoke has been promoted to Divisional Director of Gallagher's P&I Practice, Anna Vorgas, a director of Cyprus-based Affin Tricker, who also sits on the board of Cyprus Shipping Chamber, and William Beveridge, Chief Underwriting Officer at the UK Club. Dave started by asking for general impressions of the 2024 renewal round the first speaker you're going to hear is William followed by Alex.
1: I think that it was it was a fairly uneventful renewal that certainly from from where we sat that was the uh, that was the view Um, not much moving in and out of the club and I, I think we wonder whether that's probably a factor of the fact that we'll probably touch on this later in the conversation, but that the, um, the market was pretty stable for renewal. There wasn't extreme in- increases or reductions being uh, touted around the market and therefore th- the need for business to move between clubs was relatively limited.
2: I think when um, <clears throat> when the um, general increases are very low, there's, there's less to fall out about. So I think because of that, there was less movement, uh, less uh, big names moving from club to club. Um, If anything, some of the headline moves that we'll hear about in the weeks to come will be because of a a bit of rebalancing or a bit of um, consolidation strategy rather than big, dramatic um, reasons for change. Um, So, you know, as as you put it, um, the consensus was it was pretty uneventful. Um, And whether we'll see more happening, I suspect we probably will. Um, I think 2025 on the back of a uh, forecast, very good results coming from the market, which we'll hear about in the spring, we'll see a very manageable 2025 as well, I imagine. You know, a big part of that has to do with um, some positive investment since the um, clubs announced their GIs back in the autumn. Um, you know, There's been a bit, of, a bit of bounce back there, and that's probably taken the pressure off. Um, and, and that's why we, we saw perhaps a slightly different uh, approach um, as we got closer to the 20th of February. Okay, how did it look to you, Anna?
3: Well, from obviously from our side of the world, being a retail broker um, and being in the Eastern Med, it was a different ball game in terms of um, the clients we have as well, uh, coming from different regions in the area—be clients from Cyprus, from Greece, from the Middle East as well. Uh, but I have to say, it was yes, it wasn't. It wasn't eventful. It wasn't. There weren't. Fireworks. There weren't any unexpected reactions from clients um, other than perhaps the few moves from uh, certain ship owners um, from some of the clubs um, on the lower end, if you want, without naming uh, clubs, um, some moves from there. But otherwise, it was all quiet, as, as uh, Alex and William said. Uh, The increases weren't big, so owners were quite happy. But from our part of the world, I mean, I was just saying yesterday to the team, you know, P&I Renewal just went through almost unnoticed because we've been so busy. Right. What is going on with the Gulf of Aden and on the house side and on the war side that has taken 80 percent of our energy in January and February.
4: Right. as Smooth as that. Um, Of course, as you've just mentioned, Anna, I mean, the increases were pretty modest. I mean, bunched together in the 5% to 7.5% spectrum, which is actually, I think, the lowest for three or four years. Um, I I know that that's an opening negotiating position and the clubs don't get all of it. But uh, from what I've told, they got about three quarters of what they asked for. So, have we now reached that happy state of affairs that people call rate adequacy
1: i'll I'll jump in first then happily david uh, rating adequacy is is something which obviously moves over time and and the cost of claims move over time and and all the clubs have pitched their their general increased targets anyway in that five to seven and a half percent level that you mentioned and and uh, from our perspective. That broadly reflected the level of inflation that we've seen over the last couple of years on the book. And we've seen a pretty steady increase over the last decade of of increasing claim cost at the attritional level. And we anticipate it to be in that sort of five to seven and a half percent level as we go through into 24, 25. So that's why we pick that level with the support of our board, obviously, uh, to try and maintain stability at... uh, at the results level of the club, by making sure that we have adequate premium as we go through the next year.
4: Well, that's what it looks like from the club point of view. What about the brokers, either of you?
2: Yeah, I can, I can go next if you want. I mean, look, the rating adequacy changes year on year on year, you know, largely dependent on um, on the rate of churn, um, and we, we've seen that rate of churn slow down significantly in the last um, four or five years. Uh, that's probably on, on the back of a very strong uh, shipping market um, and, and we can see that the world fleet is aging and it's aging uh, even quicker now I suppose um, and that will be the next problem that we' will probably see in the market when scrapping starts um, you know when, when when there's a big change in, in, the, in the way the technology is moving when it comes to these older ships um, There'll, there'll be a, a, the rate of churn will speed up, which means there'll be less premium in the market. Um, and then that rating adequacy, from a general perspective, will change again. Um, I think I think the market's in a pretty good place right now, um, especially as we go into 2024. The last four years, um, the hard market getting the rates up um, it, it is now being reflected in the combined ratios that we're seeing and, and we're going to see in, in the next couple of months. Um so I think the market's in a good place, which is why it's fairly predictable, but it's a moving feast it's not a. it's not as simple as whether it, are you happy now or not it's, it's something that just needs to be monitored
3: no i mean i'm a numbers person um and i i i, I do rely on numbers, but in this instance we're we're uh, p and i's long tail um and it's just it's not just about uh tannage rates. Uh, claims only. It's about other factors as well. It's how um, it's it's a lot of variables that we need to balance if we want to say um, you know it's adequate. And it is the first year after three years. On one hand, we would need, in my view, we would need to see another two good years, good years in terms of claims, good years in terms of investment, good years in ter- in terms of underwriting, to safely say that we've reached a kind of equilibrium that can sustain us forward, but at the same time um, we cannot lose sight of the fact that accumulated three years, announced increases were what? Something like 40% uh, over the last three years. So it's a matter of balancing that need, if you want, with um, what the market, what the shipping industry can sustain in terms of expense and cost. So Uh, it's like juggling at the end of the day, and it will all depend, Mm. we cannot forecast it. Uh, Who knows? I mean, nobody expected COVID three years ago. Nobody expected two years ago exactly, you know, tomorrow, the war in the Ukraine. And we did not really expect um, what happened in the Gaza and all these effects, the external factors that do affect us. So all things being equal, we should be uh, going the right way. Right. but,
4: I mean, P&I, it strikes me as pretty good value for money, the way it's uh, getting done. I mean, I know we've got both got underwriters and brokers on this panel, so maybe some disagreement there. But um, what do you think? It's good value for what ship owners get, isn't it? Well, Can you'll certainly tell again? us that, William,
1: yes. Well, I, I, I will, <laughs> David. And I'm, I have an interesting perspective on it because, obviously, as you know, I'm fairly new to P&I, so I've only been in the club for 18 months and my background before that was in the commercial market. So by, by way of a comparison, I think that the clubs offer exceptional value to their members. And and let me explain why I think that. I mean, firstly, because we are mutuals, so we're not looking to make a profit. Break-even is good for P&I clubs and Alex mentioned investment returns. I'm sure we'll talk about those in a moment, but they're important. But Assuming a normal underwriting result, the clubs are coming in plus or minus five percent, and the uh, the ability of the the clubs collectively and individually to provide the quality of service they provide, provide above and beyond the pure transactional uh, re- relationships that are just premium and claims is in, in my um, from my perspective is amazing, and I think I can only speak for ourselves, but the uh, The quality of the product that's offered from obviously from the expertise on claims the technical support the partnership that we provide on claims to our members but above and beyond that uh, all the expertise that comes on the safety and the loss prevention the risk management side uh, all the technical advice that we give outside of the peer transactional insurance piece i mean i think speaking from the uk club's perspective i think it's uh it's a very high quality product and one that is immensely valued by our members as well.
4: Right. Uh, but of course we've got two brokers whose job it is to cheese, pear and uh, salami slice the rates as far as possible. Is, uh, is William right or uh, is there always room for a rate cut?
2: Have you had lunch today, uh, David? That's <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think, look, you know, if, if I think, I think uh, William summed it up quite nicely. Um, you know the 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 question about whether it's good value for money. If we uh, if we make it a very transactional answer, if if anybody if any ship owner goes into the market today, goes into the commercial market and tries to buy a theoretical eight billion dollars worth of cover, not only will his his brokers be traipsing in the market for months on end trying to get people to to scratch uh, eight billion dollars worth of cover, you probably also can't get it. Um, the fact that you go to a P and i club, they give you 100% stamp for that risk at a good premium today, although premiums have gone up in the last four years. Um, of course, it's good value for money. Um, there, there's also no alternative. Um, we, we talked about not wanting to, P&I to become a commoditised product, which it has become a little bit like that. And it can't take its members to have a $100 million claim to realise the value of the club. Um it, it's it and, and there's also a reason why these, these associations have been going on for two hundred plus years in some cases. So it, it is good value for money. Um there isn't an alternative um out there. Um and, 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 but um, for that for that reason only, um there's no other choice.
4: Okay. I mean one of the themes we've seen this year has been uh give backs, cashbacks in various ways. Um from the richer clubs of course. Um to some extent, um, I, I think in the case of God, the cash back was larger than the premium increase. Um, so you know, why do it like that? What's the logic? I, I see you nodding, Anna, so uh, perhaps you've got some thoughts on this.
3: Well, I'll take I'll, I will voice or echo, if you want, Chip owner's position here in terms of mutuality should go both ways. Um, it is a mutual. Uh, and if a club, um, and this is, this is basically strictly how some owners voice it in meetings, um, if a club can come and request additional supplementary calls for bad years, why shouldn't the members and the owners share into some excess capital where that is possible without affecting the reserves of a club or the financials of a club? Um, uh, okay, I can see the point you know why give the cash back if you are asking for an increase. Does that make sense? It does make sense because you're giving you 're giving money back on a year that 's in a way accounted for uh, if you know you 've had a good investment result and a good underwriting result and you you 're going to have some capital some excess um, capital. You can afford to give some of that money back to the members. Um, however, you maintain the increase and you're applying the increase on the rate because you need to ensure that you maintain the sustainability of that fleet rating going forward. Um, because you know, uh, inflationary costs are not going to be reduced, claims are getting more expensive. So, in that way, yes, it does make sense. Um, and I think it is very welcome from the it is very welcome from the owners.
4: Right. I mean, um, it, it does look like the clubs are now in quite a good place, aren't they? I mean, everyone I've spoken to um, is expecting to have a combined ratio of 100% or below, or yeah, perhaps a few percentage points uh, over. But um, it's the best place that P&I clubs have been for a few years, I would have thought. Line, I think it's
1: important with mutuals to remember that... Um as we are not profit-making, to come in within the target range, which is a few points, as you put it nicely, David, a few points either side of, of, of a break-even is um, is where the target is. And we don't need to degenerate the sort of levels of combined ratio in the low 90s that the commercial market does. But the the, the point that Anna makes about capital is a very important one. And I think that that stability that we're seeing and, and the fact that clubs are starting to return some surplus capital is, is a very positive sign and a sign of that stability coming into the market and, and should be uh, encouraged. But I think, I think, as Alex alluded to earlier on, we're in, a, we're in a place where the market's pretty stable, it's pretty good, and the results should be fine.
4: I also wanted to ask about um, the downgrades that we've seen from Standard & Poor's. And I mean, perhaps um, educate me on this one. I've I've never really quite understood why um, P&I clubs are getting rated by S&P in the same way as bonds are. But um, Swedish and West were downgraded in 2022. American Club was downgraded earlier this year to below investment grade. Is this, what, what should we read into this? Is this a sign that perhaps it's not all rosy? How about you, Alex?
2: I think, um, the American downgrade was a little bit harsh. Um, you know, yeah? S and P. Why? S and P have their, have their capital models, um, which, you know, they compare, um, mutual P&I clubs with the commercial market. That's the, that's the way that they've al- they've always done things. Um, w- one of the things that S&P commented on was they look at forward-looking uh, projections of, of, of the club, and I think for the American club that they have done better um, is it, still not where it needs to be, but they've done better over the last couple of years, um, and that doesn't seem to be reflected in the decision to go from triple B to double B. Um, it causes problems for owners, lenders more than anything, when you've got banks that have minimum. S and P requirements, and then all of a sudden you have to change club because um, the club no longer meets the minimum requirements for, for your lenders. So, the, so that's that's problematic. Um, when, oh right, so
4: the, the lenders impose um, criteria, do they?
2: So, some some lenders do, and, and some some, yeah, and, some are stricter than others. And some clubs um, could fall foul of that. It, it's, it's it's very possible when you go below triple B. Some lenders, uh, you know, will have a, a minimum requirement, but so that, so that can cause some problems. Um, and um, you know, if 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 the if S and P try and compare American Club to Guard's capital position, you're going to see a night and day situation there. And it, it's not always, it doesn't always feel it's apples to apples. From my own personal perspective, um, you know, the club's ability to pay claims within retention is important claims excess of 10 billion a shed um, and that's always been the case and and if um, and if for certain clubs like the American club for example um, aren't having a great year they have the ability to have an excess call and that is something that uh, amongst the members of those clubs it's an acceptable it's accepted um, that that will happen from time to time because they want their club to continue and prosper. Now, you know, the top six clubs that look after more than probably 70% of, 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 of the, of the um, ship owners as at today um, don't always have the same risk appetite for some of those members that are in the American club or Swedish club or the London club or whatever it might be. So we need those clubs in the market to make sure that ship owners of all different sizes, all different profiles, can continue to trade with first-class insurance. Um, and that 's really important
3: Well, any, any thoughts on well, would that to... lead you to go on Actually, I wanted to add something to to what Alex was saying. We need all the clubs, and you know there 's got to be some sort of like um, a, a different measure uh, of 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 comparison or of uh, i, I don 't know rating i 'm um, no uh, financial expert here, however. You know the downgrading and the requirements, say for mortgagees, financiers, investors, etc. Um, it's it's stricter. We see uh, because I do some consulting on, on the mortgagee side. Um, they are they do tend to be stricter on the hull rating than they are on the PNI. However, this is not really helping the PNI clubs that have a downgrade, especially if this is below triple B. Because at the end of the day, you have, say, a, strap with a club which may be um, finding itself in a challenging financial situation. So uh, maintaining its membership is key to um, a healthy, if you want, uh, progression or development going forward to turn things around. So if by a downgrade, a mortgage or investor, um, is going to say no. I'm not accepting this club. And an owner who doesn't necessarily uh, worry or is concerned about, uh, you know, a downgrade by S and P is forced to move club. Then obviously we are weakening those clubs further. I don't know if you agree, Alex, with that. But I, I, I think it's 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 like a uh, it's like a, a chicken in the egg situation. If owners are being forced to leave a club. Uh, with which they're otherwise perfectly happy with, yeah, um, so yeah, sure. I, I don't know what, whether this is actually helping or not.
2: But to be honest with you, Anna, I mean, look, we, we do business with with all the clubs, right? As, as do you. Um, I don't think we've taken any members away from those clubs for, for that reason, but the banks could could they haven't really yet, but it, but some of them do have this minimum criteria, and it could very well happen. So I don't think it, I think. It's there. It hasn't perhaps happened yet, but the longer it goes on, the more pressure they'll be under. I, I just, for, for me personally, I th- think it's a little bit harsh that they got that, they got that um, downgrade. But it's happened, and uh, I'm sure. Okay, and
4: all of to... this, all, all of this brings me quite nicely to my last question, which is, how many clubs should there be? I mean, there is an argument that you hear from some brokers that the market would be best served by half a dozen larger and stronger clubs, um, that that would be the best use, the most efficient use of reserves. Um, Others will argue that um, 12 is the right number for uh, a fair level of competition and that if things get much smaller than that, that would be a worry. I mean, we have seen one merger last year, of course, North and Standard, into one pretty big club that's just about the equal of God, But... We haven't seen any mergers since, so what's the outlook here?
1: It's probably my turn to speak, isn't it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to merge with then, William? <laughs> <laughs>
1: we have no plans at the moment, David. Um, the, it's a good question because the, the first one is one of choice. So it, choice is important. And and if you were to cut down to half a dozen clubs, that would eliminate a lot of the choices out there. And within the clubs, there are specialisations as well. So I, I think perhaps slightly controversially, though, I suspect I won't find that either Alex or Anna disagree with me. But I think maintaining a decent number of clubs is a good thing for both for for the wider shipping community and for the health of the international group. So but what, eight or nine? Would that be all right? I don't know. I don't think there's a particular number to pick. Um, the, there may well be future mergers, though. I don't think we don't hear any any immediately on the horizon. And and mergers probably need to happen partly out of out of um, out of desire for scale, but also out of necessity. So. I, I wonder whether there may be more there may be more mergers that come onto the horizon over the next couple of years. But I don't think that it's something that's very pressing. And and obviously we as a club have have explored mergers publicly in the past. We we had a, a discussion about five or six years ago with mm, one, of yeah, the, the, the pioneers, one of the pioneers indeed, um, which didn't come to fruition. And there are many many challenges attached to to mergers. But we obviously as a club are not opposed to them. But it would it would need to be at some stage if it were to happen with the right partner
4: right last word with one of the brokers in. would it make your life easier if you had uh, fewer clubs to deal with
3: more difficult i'd say yeah why because you know alex, alex i think covered it did earlier by saying you know we need we need uh different options we need choices for our owners and not everybody fits uh not not everybody fits um you know, one model or one one uh, one box, if you if you want. And uh, wearing my hat of uh, a ship owners association now, um, definitely our clients, our members would need would need more options as possible. And let's not forget where where does competition law go here? If we're down to six P and I clubs, I mean, the EU has already been on us. How many years ago? Fifteen years ago about uh, the mutual, the group, uh, not offering enough competition, etc. So um, competition is healthy. Now, whether it's twelve, eleven, thirteen, 11, 13, we need competition and we need options for the owners.
0: Well, that is where we are going to leave it for this week. Uh, my thanks to all the speakers this week and for Dave for hosting a very interesting discussion that should offer some pointers to the developments in the coming 12 months over which the annual renewal cycle will of course repeat itself don't forget that if you're not already a lois list subscriber you really should be for all the best in news opinion and analysis not just in marine insurance but across the maritime industries head to lloydslist.com for details for now though thank you for listening goodbye and have a nice weekend